Welcome back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 47, Hydroxychloroquine Blood Levels Predict Hydroxychloroquine Retinopathy. I decided to tackle this paper this week because I've been doing a lot of randomized control trials and because this is an interesting question that I haven't had time to tackle on the podcast. For background, we love hydroxychloroquine in rheumatology. It's a decent drug for rheumatoid arthritis, and it's probably a great drug for lupus. There's good evidence that it reduces the rate of flares. It is associated with improved outcomes. In this paper, they made this somewhat dubious claim that it is the only medication proven to improve survival, and I do not think that's true. Taking hydroxychloroquine is certainly associated with improved survival, and I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it does improve survival, but that data is not quite as strong as they make it out to be. And then last but not least, it seems to be associated with a lot less damage, including, in lupus nephritis, the big bugaboo for this disease, a higher rate of renal remission. That all sounds great. The kicker? We no longer prescribe hydroxychloroquine in the way that it was prescribed when all of this data was created. Why would we take our best drug for lupus and no longer use it the way that it has been proven to work? A little bit of history. So in 2011, the AAO, the American Academy of Ophthalmology, came out with guidelines regarding hydroxychloroquine retinopathy. At that point, we thought that hydroxychloroquine retinopathy was pretty rare. Somewhere around a less than 1% incidence, in some large cohorts, they couldn't even find enough cases to make a convincing story for it. They were able to identify some risk factors, which included taking more than 400 milligrams daily, taking more than 6.5 milligrams per kilogram daily, taking more than a gram total, or having taken it for five years total. All of this seemed reasonable, and the AAO recommended taking less than 6.5 milligrams per kilogram. Now in 2016, the AAO came out with new guidelines. These guidelines were based in part off of a large cohort study that demonstrated a much higher risk of hydroxychloroquine retinopathy than previously thought. Under five years, the risk was less than 1%, but by 20 years, the risk had gone as high as 20%. Based on this data, the AAO recommended reducing the dosage of hydroxychloroquine to less than 5 milligrams per kilogram of real body weight. I actually spent a large part of the first year of my fellowship reducing my patients' hydroxychloroquine doses because many of them were above that weight-based dosing. This has been a somewhat controversial issue for us in rheumatology, and Dr. Michelle Petrie at Hopkins has been at the center of it in a couple of different ways. Most importantly, she gave the great debate at ACR a couple years back covering this topic, and I thought she had a couple good zingers. This paper expands upon one of her arguments, and I'd like to discuss it now. So this paper was based on the Johns Hopkins lupus cohort, which is itself a prospective study of predictors of flare, atherosclerosis, and health status in SLE. Problem? This wasn't a cohort that was designed necessarily to test this question. So in a sense, this is a retrospective cohort based on a prospective cohort. All lupus patients in this cohort met the SLIC SLE criteria, and beginning in 2013, blood levels of hydroxychloroquine were measured at each visit. I don't think many people do this, and I don't think anyone has done it on this scale, so this makes for a relatively unique data set that's worth probing. The methods in this paper were mercifully short, so I'm going to jump straight to the results. They ultimately found 537 patients with lupus who'd undergone retinal testing. That is a lot. The vast majority were female, 92%, and there's a nice breakdown with a little under half being Caucasian and a little under half being African American, so we actually have good representation of different ethnic groups. Out of 537 patients, 492 had hydroxychloroquine blood levels measured. That's fantastic, and again, a very unique data set. The overall prevalence of confirmed hydroxychloroquine toxicity was 4.3%. Men seem to be more likely than women, Caucasians seem to have a higher rate, 
and greater age was somewhat strongly associated with an increased rate of hydroxychloroquine toxicity. Among patients less than 45 years of age, the rate was less than 0.5%. It's pretty reassuring if you have young lupus patients. From 45 to 60, that went up to 4%, and over 60, that went over 10%. So your older patients with lupus are at a much higher risk of having developed this. Part of that may be that they've had more hydroxychloroquine over their lifetime. They did see that a longer duration of hydroxychloroquine intake was more related to hydroxychloroquine toxicity. Patients who've been on hydroxychloroquine for less than five years had a less than 1% rate of retinal toxicity. From five to 15 years, the rate was between two to 3%, so still not that high. From 16 years and on, the rate was around 10%. So one in 10 patients who takes hydroxychloroquine for more than 15 years will wind up developing retinal toxicity. It's a pretty high number. It's relatively fair to assume that nobody would develop hydroxychloroquine retinal toxicity if they didn't take hydroxychloroquine. That means a number needed to treat of 10 to cause one person to develop hydroxychloroquine retinal toxicity. At face value at least, that supports the AAO's decision to recommend limiting the dose and if possible the duration of therapy. Last but not least, the main thrust of this paper was to show that the mean and maximum levels of hydroxychloroquine predicted later hydroxychloroquine retinopathy. This is not something that I'm doing, and whenever you notice something like this, you need to kind of dive deeper and ask yourself whether you should start. Table 3 describes the relationship between hydroxychloroquine toxicity and each hydroxychloroquine blood level. In the lowest tertile, who frankly probably had bad compliance, the rate was quite low at 1.2%. I think the second and third tertiles are more interesting. These are the tertiles of patients who I think were actually taking the drug and getting enough of it. In the middle tertile, the rate was 4.8%. In the top tertile, the rate was 6.7%. So there's about a 2% increase in toxicity based on which tertile of blood levels of hydroxychloroquine you fall into. That was even more pronounced for mean tertiles. Again, the lowest one, I just don't think these patients were really getting very much hydroxychloroquine. But the middle and the top tertile, the difference was 3.7 to 8%. So if you were a mid-range person in hydroxychloroquine, you had about a 4% rate of toxicity. If you were someone who was getting a high blood concentration of hydroxychloroquine, your rate went up to between 7 and 8%. That seems to be a real difference to me that's clinically meaningful. So what are my take-homes from this paper? Well, first, hydroxychloroquine retinopathy does appear to be worse than we previously thought. The rate is not under 1%. Over 15 years, if you treat 10 patients with lupus, you can expect at least one of them to develop hydroxychloroquine retinopathy. How could this be so different from our previous data? Well, to some degree, I suspect we're just better at screening. The flip side of this, though, is that these numbers are not as bad as the numbers that the American Academy of Ophthalmology based their recommendations upon. At Johns Hopkins, the maximum plaquenil dose was 400 milligrams, and so they suspect that this may have limited some of the toxicity that they saw in the AAO data. And this leads me to my first take-home point, which is that I'm not going to be giving patients any more than 400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine. I already don't, so that's an easy change for me to make, but I don't think there's anyone who should be doing that either. The second obvious take-home from this paper is that blood levels vary widely. They have a really nice figure where they show a scatter plot of hydroxychloroquine blood levels and the dosage in milligrams per kilograms per day. And there's a relationship, but it's weak. Patients who are taking five milligrams today, there's frequently are at the high tertile of blood levels. Patients who are taking seven milligrams today are frequently in the lowest tertile of blood levels. There doesn't seem to be as close of a relationship between hydroxychloroquine prescribing and hydroxychloroquine blood levels as you would expect. 
There are also a lot of people who are in the lowest tertile of hydroxychloroquine dosing. Suspect a lot of that is based on non-compliance, and the authors point out that we can use hydroxychloroquine blood levels to encourage patients to do a better job of taking their medications. Based on this, they go on to say, regarding hydroxychloroquine blood levels, we think our data clearly indicate the benefit of this in SLE management. I'd like to take each of these points in turn and say why I don't think that this case is quite as strong as they make it out to be. For starters, let's talk about using these to measure compliance. The idea here is that if you catch a patient who's not taking their drugs, you can confront them, preferably in a kind and gentle manner, and encourage them to do a better job next time. I can certainly imagine the scenario where that goes well, the patient admits that they weren't taking their medications, and goes on to do a better job. For me, the counterfactual seems to be a big deal as well. You confront the patient with their blood levels, they feel like you're spying on them, you hurt the relationship that you've built up with them, and they stop coming, or they keep not taking their hydroxychloroquine, or they take it just before your visits with you. There's a lot of ways that I think this goes wrong, and for me, this is a philosophical thing. My perspective, and I'm not sure that this is the right one, but it's how I feel, is that the doctor-patient relationship is a fragile thing. It's based on trust, and trust must be earned, but it also must be given. And for me, I think that you need to demonstrate to your patients that you trust them. It's reasonable to ask your patient, have you been taking your hydroxychloroquine? I don't know that it's reasonable to ask them that question and then show them evidence that they weren't being truthful with you. I know there are probably some people who can thread the needle and do this with a lot of tact and have a lot of success with it, but for me, it's not the way I want to practice, and so that argument isn't terribly convincing. The second argument is that hydroxychloroquine blood levels vary widely, so we should be testing them to try to get patients to the appropriate blood level. Couple thoughts on that. The first is that I would have liked to have seen what the rate of retinopathy was in patients who were at 4 mg per kilogram, 5 mg per kilogram, 6 mg per kilogram, and 7 mg per kilogram. For whatever reason, they didn't show that. They showed the relationship between milligrams per kilogram and blood levels, but that's a surrogate outcome. There's probably a good reason that they didn't display that, but I couldn't find it in the text, and it's kind of bothering me. The second reason I don't find this convincing is that the most likely outcome of measuring blood levels is that you're going to give your patient less hydroxychloroquine. If you notice that they're at the third tertile of blood level, you're going to say, let's pull back a little bit on your hydroxychloroquine dose. Do I think that's a good idea? I don't know. Yes, the data does seem to be convincing that there is an increased rate of hydroxychloroquine retinopathy among patients who are taking more hydroxychloroquine and patients who have a higher blood level. Does that mean that we should go down? What we don't know the answer to is whether decreasing the dosage of hydroxychloroquine results in more flares, more lupus nephritis, more damage, all of the things that we think hydroxychloroquine prevents, we don't have data to say that reducing the dose won't cause more of those things. For me, measuring hydroxychloroquine blood levels is a way to tie your hands. It forces you to reduce the dose of a medication that has a lot of beneficial effects for patients with lupus and it's not entirely clear what the costs of that will be over the long term. We should note that the hydroxychloroquine retinal toxicity is a big deal, but no one in this cohort went blind. As long as you screen people frequently, I would recommend yearly up to 15 years and every six months afterwards, ophthalmologists can catch this before patients really even become symptomatic. Eyes are certainly important, but it's also important for your patients with lupus to not get lupus nephritis, and I don't know where the trade-off is here. In summary, this was an interesting cohort, and I enjoyed reading this paper. I could understand someone monitoring hydroxychloroquine levels because they want to monitor compliance. Philosophically, that's just not how I practice medicine. 
I also understand the flip side. If you're very worried about hydroxychloroquine toxicity, this paper does demonstrate that the blood levels are associated with ultimate outcomes. The association is something like a 4% absolute increased rate for patients who are in the top tertile. This paper does not demonstrate that reducing hydroxychloroquine dose results in less retinal toxicity, and no papers to date have shown that reducing the dose of hydroxychloroquine is a safe thing with regard to flares and other complications of lupus. For all we know, going down in the dose is going to result in more morbidity directly from lupus for your patients. So for that reason, I don't think this is something I'm going to be doing widely. It's an interesting paper though, and I'd love to hear your feedback. If you'd like to chime in, please follow me at ebroom on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you and know what everyone else is thinking about this issue. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.